Happy Sabbath, church family. I feel like I'm traveling with so many things this morning, but welcome to technology and those of us who are not so accustomed to it. This morning as I speak to you, I speak again from my heart because I see things happening in our society and it really concerns me because I think God would have us pay closer attention to things that are happening. You know, one of the mysteries I used to think about when I was younger, and maybe you have done this too, I look back at the bedtime stories my mom would read us, you know, every night. And I look at the time, especially when the children of Israel, and, you know, they're coming out of Egypt, heading to the promised land. And I would say to myself, what is wrong with these people? If I had seen all these miracles that God had done, you know, 10 plagues fell on Egypt. The last seven just on the Egyptians. That's not accidental. They, they, they leave Egypt. They travel to the, Red, to the Red Sea. They see God, the cloud, moving from in front, behind. He opens the Red Sea. They walk through. The Egyptians are drowned. He gives them manna from heaven. He, he gives them water from the rock. He's leading them all this way. And my question was, how could they have seen all these miracles and respond the way they repeatedly respond to God? And my question to you today, is it possible we are doing the same thing? Is it possible that we are missing all that God is trying to do for us, is doing, and what he plans to do in the future? Is it possible we are just like them? Or are we somehow different? Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we come before you, Lord, it is my desire that we hear from you today. And so, Lord, I ask that you be with us now. Hide me behind your cross, O Lord. Let your people only hear from you. And Lord, I pray that everything will be well with us. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. As we begin our story, I remind us of what Paul had to tell us about the Israelites' experience. God put them down for who? For us. So are we learning the lessons we need to learn from their experiences? Again, they've crossed the Red Sea, right? Three months later, they come to Mount Sinai. They hear God speaking to them. And what's their first response? Moses, you go talk to God. 
This is too much for us to handle. If he continues to talk to us, we will die. Now remember, this is the same God who just told them, I have brought you out of Egypt, out of the, the, the house of bondage, right? I have bore you on eagles' wings, and their first response is he's trying to kill us. Wow. God writes with his fingers the Ten Commandments. He gives them a sanctuary service. He sets it all up. They spend a whole year learning how to all of this stuff works. And then God says it's time to move. So the cloud rises up above the sanctuary and it starts to move. They spend a whole another year walking through the, the desert, the wilderness. And in two years, two years, they're right at promised land, Cadus Barna, and there Moses sends out 12 spies. They spy out the land for 40 days, and they come, and they come back, and two of them says, we can do this. God indeed has led us to the land flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of them not 10 people who have not traveled with them, not 10 people who haven't seen everything, 10 people who have seen how God has led so far, 10 of them came back and gave what the Bible calls a bad report. They looked at the land, they looked at the people, they looked at these towering walls and said to themselves, we, all right, we are midgets. They are like giants, all right, and we are grasshoppers in their sight. We cannot do this. And there they rebelled against God. They took up stones to stone Moses and Aaron and anybody else who said we can go in. And God says, that's it. Moses, come aside, and I will raise you up a nation and take in. And Moses says, God, no, we can't do this. What will the Egyptians, what will everybody else who's been watching this caravan for two years, what will they say? So God pronounces judgment when in defiance they rebel against him. And he said, for the days you spied out the land, right? You will have to be in the wilderness for 40 years. What do these people know about being in the wilderness for 40 years? They have barely survived two years in the wilderness. And to go another 38 years in their minds was impossible. We will never survive. And so they decided, all right, let's go and try and take this place. And Moses tells them, don't do it. God is not with you. Let's make a mental note. The time to do something that God asks us to do is when? Now, today, if you hear his voice. Tomorrow is not the same. 
Doing what God has asked you to do today does not merit doing it tomorrow. There is no credit in that. That's called unbelief. That's called disobedience. So they decided to go up the next day after God told them to go up today. And because God was not with them, the result is obvious, right? They were soundly defeated and driven back into the, the wilderness. What's the point I'm trying to make here? When we don't trust God, when we can't see what God is doing in our lives, when God asks us to do what seems like the impossible, we will always shy away. We will always back down. So to the children of Israel, their 40 years in the wilderness was the greatest existential threat that they were facing in their lives. They couldn't see how that was going to be done. And as a result, they became very disgruntled. Now, I want to show you some slides, and I want you to see if you can identify with me what the common problem is in these things. Maybe it's our problem today also why it is after God has done so much for this nation that we ourselves are behaving just like the children of Israel. Pay attention, all right? You ready? Exodus 15:24, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Exodus 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? We're seeing a theme here. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. What is it that's the common thing here? Oh, then leadership gets in on it, right? Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. This thing is contagious. It's like a disease. Have you ever noticed that? One person starts to complain, and before you know it, what happens? Everybody is in on it. Is it possible that it's because of complaining the children of Israel fail to remember God opened the Red Sea? They walked through on dry land. God gave them manna every day but one day, and he gave them a double portion every sixth day. Is it possible that because of complaining, they couldn't see that God was providing water from, for them out of a rock? Is it possible that because of complaining, they bring their God who, is the, who can do the impossible down to their own eyes and to their own limitations? 
And as a result, when that God who could do the impossible said, take the land, they said, we can't do it. Complaining is a dangerous thing. And I'm afraid it's been, it's contagious. I'm afraid this whole land is covered in it. As a foreigner to this land, I stand amazed that this land that has been so blessed, that has so much going for it, I am amazed at the complaining that I hear going on in this country. I'm not saying you shouldn't have problems. I'm just saying maybe we have lost perspective. Have we not seen how God has made us who we are? My goodness, our emblem is the eagle. Is that not a reminder that he has bore us up on the eagle's wings? And yet we act as if we don't have a God who can deliver us. So we have crisis in our lives. And do we turn to God? No. What did the children of Israel do? Moses, Moses. As if Moses is the one who was bringing them out of Egypt. It was God using Moses. And so we get to chapter 16 of Numbers. Remember now they have been told they're going to be 40 years in the wilderness. So turn with me to Exodus, or Numbers, sorry, Numbers chapter 16. I just thought it would be easier to read it. Now, as you turn into Numbers 16, let me catch you up on Numbers chapter 15. In Numbers chapter 15, God, seeing the people's complaining, gave Moses some extra instructions. And a couple of those instructions was what to do with unintentional sin. All right? Unintentional sin and presumptuous sin. Two things that result from, what's that word up there? Persistent complaining. When we complain over and over, one of two things is going to happen in our lives. We're either going to end up doing something unintentionally against God, or we are going to defiantly do something against God as in presumptuous sin. Oops. Unintentional sins are the actions based on our gut reaction rather than the commands of the Lord. Are you with me? We don't know what to do, but we got to do something. And no one bothers to say, what does the Lord, what would the Lord have us do? We just go out and we do something. And we find out later that we have screwed things up more than we've helped things. God says, if you do that sin, if you bring your offering, I will forgive you. Unintentional sins result again from panic and fear. Do any of these things sound familiar to us? 
Instead of consulting God in a crisis, we respond by relying on our feelings and our emotions and we look to man rather than God for the solution. Unintentional sins. But then there is the sin of presumption. Presumptuous sins explains away the workings of God, the miracles of God, the blessings of God in our lives as actions of nature or just mere men. Like when we think we are, we are, as, we are as blessed as we are because we work harder than everybody else. Family, that's not it. God had promised us that if we obey him and if we follow and we do his will, his blessings would not just come, they would overtake us. We wouldn't be able to explain and we can't explain why the United States is as prosperous as it is. Because it seems like it's doing everything everybody else is doing. And yet, we act as if, where's God? But this is what constant complaining that leads to uh, presumption does. It causes us to not see God's hand in our lives. And as a result, when God gives us a little challenge, allows us to go through difficulties, we see it as God failing us. We think God has abandoned us. And some, aka the science community, just think he doesn't even exist. And so they have to take matters into their own hands. They have to do it themselves. That's a serious and a dangerous place to be. Presumption will cause you to believe humans can do just as good or better. And they can take us further than God is leading or willing to take us. The Bible calls this blasphemy. It's defiant, willful defiance. And when this happened, God says judgment is coming. So, have we been complaining? Are we starting to see people would have everything, would do anything rather than follow God? Then our wilderness experience is about to be upon us. And the question is, what are we going to do when we face our great existential threat for which we know, we, we know not what to do? The Bible tells us there's a time coming, right? There's a tribulation that is coming that has never been like this before. We don't know how to deal with it. We can't handle it. It has never been. We don't have something to look back upon. We call it the tribulation. Our scientific world calls it climate change. The difference is who are you going to keep your eyes on? Who are you willing to watch this morning? Who are you willing to follow? Are we going to follow the scientist? Or have we learned from the example of the children of Israel? And are we going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Are you in chapter 16 of Numbers? 
I'm going to read this morning from the New Living Translation, only because when you're telling a story, this seems to flow a little better. One day Korah, the son of Ishar, a descendant of Koash, the son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses. This is verse 2. What did they do? They incited a rebellion. They said, we are not going to go into that wilderness for 40 years. They started to question the leadership of Moses. And they come to Moses and said, Moses, we are just as holy as you are. We are just as capable as you are to lead this people. And Aaron, I don't know why you think you should be the high priest. We work alongside you and we can do just as good a job. And in fact, we can take the people, not 40 years in the wilderness, we can take them to a better place. In fact, they were bold enough to say in verse 3, it says, they united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. You have overreached. You have extended your reach, your authority. And we're here to challenge you. The Bible says, when Moses heard this, he fell down on his face. In other words, Moses sought God. When he didn't know what to do, Moses fell on his face. Let it be said what we should do when we come against things that we don't know what to do. <clears throat> so God speaks to Moses and tells him, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. Who decides that? Did I put you guys to sleep? <laughs> who decides who is his and who is holy? The Lord. God decides that. I have studied with people and I hear things like every day is holy. So we can pick any day we want. What does the Bible have to say about statements like that? God himself determines what day is holy. God decides who is holy and what is holy. Unholy people can't decide what is holy, nor can they make something holy. Don't tell me you can choose any day you wish. God will let you do that. But don't think you're following him. Because if he didn't make it holy, that's not his day, that's your day. So Moses tells Korah, all right, you, this is what we do. You guys will bring your censers, put incense in it. And we will come before God and we will stand in his presence. And God will decide who is holy. Because Moses said, you Levites have gone too far. You guys are the ones who are overreaching. You guys are the ones in danger of presumption, of blasphemy. 
he goes on in verse, verse 8 that says, Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the communities of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the people to minister to them? Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? Do you see what is going on here? Korah thought he would be better as the priest, and the rest of the Levites are just as qualified. I wonder how, so, sometimes how many of us are asked to do something in the church. I don't want to do that. That's beneath me. I should be able to do this. I should be able to do that. The question is, is it not significant enough? Isn't it good enough that God has gifted you with this talent, that God is asking you to serve? Do you think you're serving the, the pastor, the church, the conference? When you work, you work for God. Is, it not, that, is, not, not, is that not significant enough that he has called you for such a job? We need to be careful. We're acting like God is not in control here. It's just man and we're scrambling a dog-eat-dog -dog world trying to climb on. No. Family, God has appointed a man. His name is what? Jesus. Bring it to our time. God has appointed a man. God decides who is holy, and he has already decided that Jesus is holy. He has already decided that there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. So if anybody says they can save you from anything, they're lying. They are anti-Christ. They are putting themselves in the place of God. He has already chosen his man. And I'm sorry, when the scientists come and tell me they're going to save me from climate change, you are not that man. You did not die for my sins. You didn't live the perfect life so that you can hold me up. Science, you have done none of those things. My man is Jesus. And we need to be able to stand on that today. We've played long enough with these people. If we continue to be sympathetic to them, it will lead us to disaster. Jesus is the only one that God has chosen. And if, he, if you follow anybody else, if you allow anybody else to try to save you, you're on a dangerous path to blasphemy, putting somebody else in the place of God. Verse 12. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the son of Eliab. But they replied, we refuse to come up. They said, look, you're not the boss of us anymore. This two years fiasco, we're done with you. We're not even coming to hear what you have to say. 
Then they make this stunning statement. Isn't it enough that you have brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in this wilderness? Family, did we just hear what he said? Did we hear what they, what they just said? Because of persistent complaining, the people are in danger of thinking that where they were is better than where God is leading them, and that where they came from was the land of milk and honey. They start to think that sin is good. Sin is not bad. There's nothing wrong with the way we are living. We're okay. That's what constant complaining and bickering does. It doesn't just put somebody in the place of God. It denies God's involvement in your past, present, and future. They called Egypt the land of bondage, where they were coming out of. They cried out to God, remember. And God said, I have heard their cries. And he sent Moses. He sent his appointed man to deliver them. And now they have said, oh no, it looked better. That would be like Shannon telling David, I think it looked better, the old barn, than what you have just done. It's the same thing. They have insulted God. They act as if God has done nothing for them. But complaining will bring you to that place. Be careful how much we complain. So he tells Moses, they're not coming up. Verse 22. So the next day... They come, to Mo they come and they prepare, I guess I should start at verse 18. So each, each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire and placed incense on it, and they, they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Verse 19 says, meanwhile, Korah stirred up the people, got them agitated. We have way too much activists amongst us today. I'm just going to have to call it for what it is. And all they do is stir up the people. And they stir up the people against God. They put up with every other religion except Christianity. Be careful who you listen to. Korah stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and Moses said to Aaron, Get away from all these people so that I may destroy them instantly. For the second time we see Moses falling on his face again interceding on our behalf. As I was looking at this, Moses falls on his face three times. And it just reminded me, how many times did Jesus ask, 
if this cup could pass from him. Three times they rejected whom God has appointed. Three times God confirmed to Jesus he is his appointed. And so he said, nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. Moses falls on his face. Oh God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creature. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? God, will you destroy all of these people just because of Adam? And the answer was no. Then tell the people to do what? Anybody reading along with me? Separate yourselves. Come apart from these wicked men, it says. Family, we cannot stay in Babylon and stay with God. We have to separate ourselves from them. You know, it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to be so committed that you will do what God says. And we, we talk about being separated from Babylon. But many of us, is, we're leaving Babylon and we're so slow leaving Babylon because we're so weighted down with all the things of Babylon. Separate yourself, get away from them, not slowly, quickly. Verse 20, 26, quickly he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins, my son. We can't take Babylon with us if we're going to be with God. Choose ye this day whom you're going to serve, but you can't serve both. God has not appointed both. He's only appointed Jesus. And if you're not willing to deny the world and follow him, you are against him. Verse 31 says, well, nope, go up to verse 28. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done. For I have not done them on my own. Doesn't that remind you of what Jesus said? I did not come here to do my will, but the will of him who has sent me. I am not here just because of me. God has sent me. God has appointed me. Therefore, I am the Christ. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happened, then the Lord has not sent me. Hear what Moses is saying. Moses says, when God's judgments come, it will not be based on cause and effect. Are you hearing what he's saying? It can't be something that's natural. It can't be something that happens on a regular basis. 
If that's the case, then God has not sent me. If the tribulation ends through natural means, regular means, God has not appointed Jesus to bring this sin problem to an end. So the Bible tells us the time is coming, the time of trouble such as never was, never will be. It will not be anything that you can put your finger on. And that's when we will know he has not chosen science. He has not chosen doctors. He has not chosen government. He has only chosen Jesus to wrap up this sin problem. And we better be able to hear that voice. Barely was he finished speaking that. It says the earth opened up and swallowed up everybody. Just those people. Once again, you cannot say, oh, that's just a, that's a normal thing that just happens. We're all standing in here, but just these pews disappear. And it just happens to have the people who are against God on it. So all of them, Korah, the 250 men, Dathan and Abiram, they all got swallowed up. And the people were in terror. They yelled out in verse 34. The, all the people around them fled when they heard the screams. The earth will swallow us up too, they cried. The fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250. Now they are afraid of God. But does God want you to serve him out of fear? If we're serving God out of fear, are we loving him? God is not interested in any relationship other than love. Drop down to verse 41. The very next morning, this is after the 250 have been destroyed. The very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the Lord's people. Do you see how insidious complaining is? Moses just told them, if these men die of natural causes. I am the one who has done all of this. Did they die of natural causes? And they still wake up the next morning and said, Moses, you have done this. When will we stop attributing the miracles of God to the workings of men? When will we stop allowing science to excuse the miracles in our Bibles? Complaining will lead us to this.
Verse 43 says, Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Get away from all these people that I can instantly destroy them. But here we are for a third time, Moses and Aaron falling on their face to the ground. Moses and Aaron, a type of Christ. Moses and Aaron interceding on behalf of the people. Family, Jesus is still interceding on our behalf, and we thank God for that. But we need to wake up and see he is doing something. Verse 46, and Moses said to Aaron, quickly take an incense burner and place burning coal in it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out amongst the people to purify them and to make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out amongst the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people. But Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. And here is the verse. He stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. God's anointed man, God's appointed man is still today standing between the dead and the living. Oh, we have a wonderful Savior. We have a Savior that we have abused, we have complained. Lord, why have you put me in this place? Why is this happening to me? And yet he is still interceding on our behalf. And yet he still says, if you confess those sins, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. It doesn't matter how long you resist. You will always be hearing the knock on the door of your heart. We have an intercessor, an interceder on behalf of the people. Did God know who he was appointing? Yes. God knows what we need even before we ask. And all I say to you is no matter what you're going to face, look to Jesus. Let him lead you. Do not get sidetracked by men trying to tell you they can figure this out. No political administration is going to figure it out. No religious leader is going to figure it out. No medical person is going to figure it out. No educated person or educator is going to figure it out. It's only Jesus. So even when we're sliding him, he's still standing between heaven and earth. He's still saying, let the punishment of these people fall on me. He's saying, take my life, give it to them, and I will take theirs. God has chosen the right man for us. 
because we are about to face something we have never faced before and there's only one man in the whole universe that has faced the second death. No one else has ever done it. He has been prepared for such a time as this. So whether you want to call it climate change, the Great Tribulation, or whatever else you want to call it, please, please, family, let's not put our eyes on men. In closing, my desire is that we would give God our heart. Now, there's a difference between our hearts and our minds. With our minds, we're good at selecting and choosing God. But we never want to, see, or we never seem to surrender our feelings and our emotions to Him. We never submit or subject our feelings and our emotions to God. The day is coming when we will have to part ways with our feelings and our emotions. Our feelings will stand us one way and God is asking us to go another way and we're going to have to choose God. The issue is trust. The Bible says they those 20 years of age and older all died in the wilderness. And the reason they died in the wilderness was not because they were sinners. They died in the wilderness because of unbelief. They failed to realize that God is able, His hand is not too short that He could deliver them for 40 years. He is able to save and to save to the utmost. Today we have the same decision to make. At the end of the 40 years, Moses reviews their experience in the wilderness. And he talks about how God has kept them all this way. Moses said, your sandals didn't even wear out. Your clothes didn't even wear out. You thought it was impossible for you to survive the wilderness. And here you are, well and strong, because God has brought you through. Family, it's time to recognize God for who He is. It's time for us to stop complaining against the God who has done so much who has emptied all of heaven for us. And all we do is stand and complain. Oh, Father, have mercy on us. May we learn to trust God today, this morning.
Teach us to be content in your leading. Teach us to trust you, Lord, at every turn. Teach us to depend on you and no one else. Father, you've promised that there still remains a rest for us. And that rest is the ability to rest in you, though the heavens fall. That rest is to trust Jesus, though we can't see tomorrow. Father, we want to trust. Help our unbelief today. Empower us now, O oh Lord, to go forth from here, holding on to you, keeping our eyes fixed on you, walking steadily behind you, and help us, Lord, to be a light to the world around us. They too, Lord, need to learn to depend on you. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to be that example. Let them see us, O oh Lord, trusting you. Let them see your peace coming upon us, O oh Lord, that they too may join hold of you. And Lord, we look forward to the day when this tribulation is over and there's a numberless throng, O oh Lord, that's before your throne. May it be, Lord, because your people kept their eyes on you. Your people followed wherever you led. And as a result, that became contagious and the world followed. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we love you for that. Stand with us now and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>